I don't know when the last time you have asked the question, who am I really? What was I made for? Why am I here? And if you're not asking those questions, can I tell you, you should be. Because if you don't know why you're here, and if you don't know where you're going, and you don't know who you are, guess what? Satan has a great time taking you to places that you never wanted to go. He doesn't mind giving you an identity. He doesn't mind giving you a counterfeit purpose. He doesn't mind hijacking your life and taking you in all different directions, anywhere but to what you were made for. Do you believe that? That Satan is alive and active, that his minions are working in such a way, screaming out worldwide, this is where pleasure is found. This is where purpose is found. This is where hope is found. This is where meaning is found. And they're all dead ends. Dead ends. Dead ends. Filled with heartbreak, disappointment, and regret. And today, we get to dive into Ephesians, continue in our series, asking the question, who am I? What was I made for? Because you were made for a purpose. You were designed and created with an agenda. The very beginning of the good news is that God is the loving ruler of the world and He made the world. And He made he made us to be rulers under Him. To have dominion. To have leadership exercise. But that's only if you know who you are. And today, we can get back to the purpose. Back to the main mission of why you were created. Let's do this. Let's pray. Get low before the Lord and dive in. We're just going to be looking at Ephesians 1, 7-10. through 10, Just a few verses together. Father, Thank you that you would be so kind to call us to yourself. For those of us who are already following you, already have given our lives to you and surrendered to Jesus as King and have trusted Him as Savior, as Rescuer, God, would you continue to show us our purpose, our mission. And God, for those of us that are, that are still asking questions, that are still wandering, trying to figure out what is life all about? What, what's meaning? Who am I? God, for those that are asking these questions and have not heard from you yet, I pray today you would speak, they would hear your voice, and they would give full control over to you. Fully submit to you as king. Fully surrender all that they are to all that you are. Because you are worthy, our Lord and King, to receive all honor and glory and power because you created all things. and It's by your will that they were created. And God, we want to live according to the design. We pray that that would be the, our reality. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You got it? Ephesians 1. Are you there? So today, I am redeemed. Redemption involves forgiveness. And we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be forgiven? What does it mean for us to have an identity where we know that we are redeemed ones and that we are forgiven ones? Because do you believe that changes everything? If we believed it, if we believed it, if we had confidence, that that's who we now are, that it would change everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, that would change everything. Let them know. That would change everything. That would change everything about why I exist, why I wake up every morning. Last week, we looked at I am chosen, that our God is actively, sovereignly invested in the world and in my life. I love Him because He, he first loved me. And today, while sin is devastating, do you believe it's devastating? The results of our rebellion against our Creator, against the God who loved us, made us. Sin is devastating, but my God has an awesome, tender plan to address my sin. And so just, just to clarify where we're at 
uh, in Ephesians 1, the Godhead shows up, the triune God. Last week, we looked at God the Father chooses. God the Father predestines. God the Father elects. God the Father is the one that starts this process of redemption before the foundation of the world, before anything was created. God the Father starts that. We see God the Son show up on the scene. God the Son is now the one that redeems. God the Son forgives. God the Son is the one that would lay down His life for you. And next week, we're going to look at this. We're going to look at God the Holy Spirit then protects and seals. And so do you believe that there's a, a triune God that is worthy of our worship? All that we are in response to all that He is. And He's been working before time began on this work of redemption. Of redemption. And so if you're taking notes, jot this down. In God the Son, in God the Son, I have redemption and forgiveness. I have redemption and forgiveness. Verse 7 and 8. Everybody there, we're reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. In Him we have redemption through His blood. It's through His blood. It's through His what? It's through His blood. The blood of Jesus He's talking about, right? The forgiveness of our, our trespasses or our rebellion, our sin, our shortcomings of breaking God's law according to the riches of His grace. The riches of His grace. Verse 8, which He reluctantly sprinkled a little bit of grace on us. Is that what your translation says? Oh, that, that he cautiously passed out small portions of grace on us. Is, it, is that what you got? It, it, that's not happening? No matter what translation you have, hopefully you have something along the lines of the riches of his grace. He lavished. He poured it out. He has unlimited grace and he just keeps giving it. He has no plan to stop. He loves to give grace. Do you believe it? God is not reluctant. He's not holding back from you. He is eager. He's excited. He's on the edge of his seat doing what? With all of his riches. Giving them away. You believe it? All of God's riches, he's like, I want you to have it. I want you to have it. I want you to have it. For some of us, we're like, I, ju I just want my bills paid. I just want a new car, a new house. Guess what? God's offering something better. His grace is better than anything that is temporary that's going to rust and fall apart. And He lavishes it upon us in all wisdom and insight. I love this. Redemption. Redemption. Uh, just to make sure that we're not speaking Christianese. Okay? We, we need an interpreter in the house. Alright, redemption. What in the world, other than just a big fancy churchy word, redemption. What does redemption mean? Uh, we could say this. Paying a, a ransom to release somebody from bondage or slavery. There's a payment for a release. A payment for a release. Okay? I, I, I don't know if you hear about some like high profile uh, kind of hostage situations or military hostage or uh, POW situations. Like, what is it going to take to get her back? What is it going to take to get him back? I'm sure maybe even recently over, over the past years, you might have watched some movies about some kind of ransom and what, what fathers are willing to do if somebody uh, steals their, their child, right? What's the ransom? Well, what does it say here? We have redemption through our good works. Is that how we, we redeem ourselves? Uh, redemption through working really hard to be better than I used to be and that our good my good will outweigh my bad? There's only one hope. There's only one way. 
I'm in slavery and I'm in bondage to sin from birth. I choose the wrong. God says this way and I say no. I choose the other way. I put myself in the jail cell. I lock myself up and I can't get out. Somebody's got to pay. And what's the cost? 10000 bucks bail bond, is that, is that going to get me out? Somebody's going to have to die because that's what I deserve. I'm on death row from birth deserving punishment. Not just a small punishment. I've rebelled against my king, against my creator, against the ruler of the universe. That, that's high treason. It deserves death. Somebody's going to have to pay. Every single one of us, by nature, we're the ones that are going to have to pay. Unless somebody else steps in and says, I'll pay for her. I'll pay for him. Just let them go free. I'll take it. And do you believe that on the cross that Jesus Christ did that for you? He was thinking about you. He knew you were going to have to take the punishment. You were going to have to be destroyed, slaughtered. You were going to have to come under the righteous, holy wrath of God. You were going to be eternally separated as punishment. And Jesus said, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it for you. Go free. I will be the one to enter in and receive the punishment in your place. Redemption, we could think about this. It was Jesus in my place. In my place. Can we say that together? In my place. Another big theological term we could say is substitutionary atonement. He was the substitute. Do you know throughout all of history we have God saying, somebody's got to pay. May it be a bull. May it be a lamb. May it be uh, some kind of offering as a symbol, as a symbol that there's got to be blood shed. Someone's got to pay. And that's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth, he was the last Old Testament prophet kicking off the Gospels. We have him crying out, the Lamb of God. The Lamb the Lamb is here. The Lamb has finally come. The Lamb that's going to finally take away the sin of the whole world. No more offering. No more guilt and shame. No more symbols. He's the real thing and He has come to take away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb. The spotless Lamb. He's the One. Hope has come. And ever since, this has been the good news. He has come. He laid down His life for you. Redemption is here. It's being offered. The question is, have you received it? I don't want to pay, but I know I'm guilty. I know I'm filled with shame. And I know I'm going to stand before God. There's not going to be any excuses. He's going to see it all. Someone's going to pay, and right now it's me. But the Lamb that God sent, His Son, I trust, I trust in what He did for me. He stood in my place. He, he took the electric chair. He took the, the death penalty for me. And I get to walk away free. I don't know if it's crossed your mind, but we talk a lot about what's fair. It's not fair that anybody should go to hell. It's not fair that anybody should be punished. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Do you know what redemption is all about? It's not fair. It's not fair that the holy God would suffer. It's not fair that the good one would be treated as a bad one. It's not fair that the only righteous person that ever walked the earth would be treated like a criminal. That's not fair. The cross isn't fair. It's not fair that the Father would have to send His Son because we blew it, we messed up, and we rebelled. 
and he had to clean up the mess. That's not fair. It's not fair that one person could spend eternity in heaven. That's not fair. But God did what was not fair, that we would be redeemed, that we would be forgiven. Amen? Amen. A ransom. A ransom. That's what he was. Something that's paid to provide the full release. We were held captive. And we know this. The wages of sin, the payment of sin, it's death. The paycheck for all that we have done, it's death. But God gives a free gift. And He loves to give good gifts. Have you received it? Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Eternal life is ours through Jesus the King. How awesome is that? So, how should grace receive? Could, it, could I talk to those in the house that you've received this grace? You've received this grace. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You have received it. What do you do with what you've received? Those around you, those closest to you, should be the recipients of amazing grace because what you have received should be flowing through you to them. Christians, in a dark and fallen world, in a corrupt world, do we, do we need to argue about the corruption of our world, uh, about the, the condition of this particular season of history, of where we're at and where we're headed? Do we, do we need to spend any time arguing that? I, I think it's, it's evident every day in the, in the midst of darkness, more darkness. In the midst of death and decay, more. Darker. Lower. But here's the question. Those of us that have received the grace, do we live radically different? Do we live as light in this darkness? Or do we shout and yell and complain and, critic and criticize the darkness all day long about how dark is the darkness? And God's saying, how bright is the light that is in you? Go. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. Not to hold grudges, not to keep score, but to go and do likewise. Forgive. Show grace. Pardon those that don't deserve pardoning. Why? That's you. That's you. Every single day. That's me. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve freedom. I don't deserve forgiveness. And then your coworker. And then your in-law. And then your family member. And maybe in your marriage. And with kids and grandkids, whatever it is, you're able to say, you deserve what I deserve. But grace received is grace given. Redemption changes us. It changes us. We can fall into just thinking about forgiveness as a basic general concept. But I, I hope today you got, you got three verses that I'm about to unleash. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready? Uh, some of you are already starting with memorizing scripture. So here's three more. All right. Three more bullets. Load the gun. Go, alright? Get this in your heart, in your mind. What is the extent of this forgiveness? Because maybe this morning you're like, preacher, I, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the shame that I carry. You don't know my past. You don't know where I've been. Here we go. Psalm 103.12. Psalm 103.12. If you want to jot down this address. Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Everybody say that's awesome. As far as the east is from the west, how fascinating that as we think about the distance east to west that we just picture in our minds. How did that forgiveness happen? That, that the God-man would come and say, this is how far. This is how far. I'm going to remove your past. I'm going to remove your present. All the mess-ups and the failures of the future. I'm, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm not going to consider it. For those of us who are redeemed, that is, that's what's true. That in God's heart and God's mind, He's not thinking about your failures. He's thinking about His Son. He's thinking about the accomplishment of Jesus. He's thinking about the righteousness that is now 
yours. This is good news. As far as the east is from the west. Awesome, awesome. How about this? Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? Who, who does this? Pardoning iniquity. Passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance. He does not retain His anger forever. He doesn't harbor it and hold on to His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. Is that good news? He will have compassion. He will have compassion. He will tread our iniquity under foot. He's going to stomp it. Do you picture Jesus' foot stomping the head of the serpent that the curse is done? Satan's party is over. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You will cast all our sins. God, this is what You've guaranteed. You're going to cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Do you know that even today, right now, with all of our technology and all of the marine biologists and oceanographers all around the world, you know that they still have the vast majority of the ocean depths that they still have not explored. They're like, we don't know what's down there. Even though we have all the technology to explore, God's like, yeah, keep going. Deeper. Keep going. Keep going. So deep. So forgotten. So covered. Not that it didn't happen. Can we clarify? All of us have blown it royally. God doesn't say, that's alright, you're innocent. He says, you're guilty as charged, but you're redeemed. You've been forgiven. The debt's been taken care of. The penalty has been paid. Jesus on the cross, to Tetelestai, one of His last words as He cries out, it paid in full. The debt, it's over. It's done. It's finished. There's nothing more to do. So I don't know if this morning, on your worst days, you might be tempted. God, I'll make up for this. God, I know I've blown it. Man, this, this past year, whew, what a sucky spiritual year I've had. I've fallen, tripped up, and I've chosen, and I've looked, and I've, I've said things, done things. My reactions, my responses, my relationships. God, I'll make it up. I'll make it up to you. God, I'll try harder and I'll do more. And redemption tells a different story. The story of redemption in your life is there's nothing to make up for. If you were a child of God, it's been taken care of. There's not a sliding scale of how are you doing and that depends on our relationship and how, how close we are. In a moment, you can confess. In a moment, say, God, I, I, I did. I agree with you. We don't need to go to someone else. We can go directly to God and confess. We can agree with God and say, God, I, I say what you say about my sin. And then I remember this. Been taken care of. Thank you. Does confession lead you to worship? Instead of trying to make up for and trying to compensate and trying to, to move forward on your own and trying to clean up and get, get right. I'm trying to get back to church. I'm just trying harder. What if, what if the story of redemption today is stop trying? Stop trying. It's not your work. It's not your efforts. It's not you compensating. It's not you trying to overcome. The redemption story is that in the Son I have full forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And how about this? Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. I don't know if you have memorized this. Maybe you got a little plaque on your wall that says something like, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man, all of his thoughts, and you're talking unrighteous thoughts, let him, let him do this. Let her do this. Return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. What happens when you return to the Lord? What happens when you get honest before God? Compassion comes your way. That's, 
That's the new story. That's redemption. Because this. He has compassion. He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Do you believe that? His thoughts are so different. His ways are so radically different. He doesn't keep score like we do. He doesn't harbor all of the wrongs. He doesn't keep track and then bring it up at the most opportune time. There is no more condemnation, Romans 8 says. No more condemnation. None ever, ever. He will never condemn. Again, His ways. They're so different. So different. So while sin is devastating, my God has an awesome plan. He's awesome. He's awesome. He addresses my sin on the cross. How about this? Number two, if you're taking notes, in God the Son, I will be united as was originally intended. So in God the Son, I have redemption and forgiveness. In God the Son, I will be united as was originally intended. Here we go. Verse 9 and 10. Everybody there? Everybody there? Verse 9. Making known to us. What did He make known to us? The mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. In Christ. Everybody say in Christ. It's in Christ. He's making this mystery known. His purposes as a plan for the fullness of time. Do you see that? Verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to Him. Things in heaven, things on earth. Things in heaven, things on earth. Guess what? We know the end of the story and we know where redemption is headed. That God is working on His plan in the here and now in part, but in full on that day. Heaven and earth are going to come together. All the old is going to pass away. Eden 2.0 is going to be here. Heaven is going to come down. Jesus is going to be the light. There's no more sun, no more moon, no more stars. The end of the story is everything is going to be back the way it was originally supposed to be. Who accomplishes that? Do we work really hard and try to like clean up this place? Are we a bunch of spiritual janitors just, just trying to do our part of cleaning up our messy corner of the world? We're following the One who's executing His perfect will and His perfect plan. And it had been a mystery. And now Jesus in Christ, it's revealed. And there's a plan. But we can't grasp any of this unless the Holy Spirit enlightens. We're going to talk more about that later. But He made known His will. Do you know that God's will can be known? Do you know that He delights to make His will known? That He's not trying to cover it up? He's not trying to hide it? I don't know if you've ever been at a place where you're just wondering, God, what are you doing? If you just tell me what to do, I would do it. And I don't understand. And where did I go wrong? And I thought you told me. And I guess not. And I don't know how to get back. And I don't know what His will for my life is. And guess what? It's not just for our, for our students. It's not just for our teenagers. It's not just for our elementary kids to say, all right, pray according to God's will and be seeking God's will. How many of us as adults need to be reminded every day, God has a will for my life. The question is, am I rejecting it? Am I going to continue to stiff arm God's plan revealed? Or, or am I going to say, God, I surrender? Have you come to that place? Not just Jesus, heaven, I'll take that. Out of hell, that's awesome. But instead, a lifestyle of, God, your will be done in my life. I, I don't want to live for me anymore. I don't want to live doing what's right in my own eyes. Your will, your way, your timing. Are you there this morning? Saying, I think it's about time that I just I lay it all out before God and say, God, take over. And guess where He has revealed His will? I don't know if you have one of these books, but there's one in your aisle. Guess what? If you don't have one at home, you do now because you get to take that home. That's your gift. If you're not in this book, you don't know His will because God's Word is God's will. God's Word is God's will. He's revealed 
His will. We see all that the Father has done. We see what the Son is doing and throughout history what He has accomplished on the cross. We see it in the words of Scripture. We can know His will for our lives. How awesome is that? I don't know if you think it's awesome. I was pretty excited this week thinking, God's not silent. He has spoken. I can know His will, His ways. Uh, in every detail, probably not, right? But is He completely silent about how I'm to live my life? What relationships I'm supposed to be in? What I'm supposed to be doing with my time and my money? God has spoken. His will, it's here. And it's perfect. And it's awesome. The purposes that He has in Christ. In Christ. So here, here we have, as we are wrapping up, I, I just want, I want us to consider this. His love for you is never a result of your performance. His love for you is never a result of how well you did this past week at trying to do the right thing, staying away from the wrong, whether you were in the Word. By the way, just a little pastor guilt. You do have a reading plan in your book, and it's not too late to catch up from last week, but this week I might be checking up on you. Okay, you got a reading plan? All right, get in the Word. Get in the Word, all right? All right, there we go. End guilt trip. All right, but consider that His love for you, His passion for you, His care and concern for you, it's not based on how close you feel to Him. It's not based on your track record. It's not based on whether you blew it or not this past week. God knows what you've done. God sees all. And the glory of His grace was that in a moment on the cross, all of that was dealt with. So that now, you can walk with Him. Do you believe that? You can have a relationship. Not the religious thing. Not the showing up to church thing. Not the check in the box thing. Not, man, I've really blown it and I've wandered and strayed. Got to get my butt back into a pew. Somehow that gets grace. Grace ain't coming to you that way. It's not your performance. It's His accomplishment on the cross. It's grace. It's grace. Glorious. Glorious grace. Have you received it? Do you know it? Have you tasted of the grace? Have you tasted of it? Here's a couple questions for us to ask together. Do I really believe God's acceptance is not based on my behavior or performance? My obedience changes nothing of my rightness, my righteousness before God if I have truly been born again. Do I really believe that? How about this? I, I jotted this question down for myself. Pastor John, do you obey Jesus? Not hoping that you'll earn something, but do you obey Jesus because you're grateful for what He's already done for you? Are you grateful? Is your lifestyle a lifestyle of worship, of gratitude because of what He's accomplished, not how well you're doing? Depending on the week, I can't always answer, well, of course. As the worship team comes up, I want us, I want us to think about this. The Gospel in its simplicity, with its clarity, is so hard to believe. It's hard to believe that God would take it all. That He would live a perfect life that I could never live. I can't live up to the standard. I can't do it. I can try really hard. And I'm always going to stumble. I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to fall. Because the standard is perfection. And Jesus knew we couldn't be perfect, so He, he was perfect for us on our behalf. He didn't just die for us. He lived for us. Sometimes that's hard to believe because we want to ask, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? I need to do my thing and my part and I need to get my act together. Here's some pretty awesome news and way of testimony that, that you all have 
Y'all have two pastors that can blow it in the worst way. That both of us should be still sitting in prison cells and jail cells. That, that, that's what we deserve. That's where we should be. And even for, for us that know what it's like to be forgiven of the most heinous, of, of the things that we should have done and almost did and the few things that we got caught doing, and we're still tempted to try to try to work hard and, and try to compensate and make up for instead of just glorying in glorious grace. Instead of living a lifestyle of worship. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's all washed. I'm, I'm clean. I'm not dirty anymore. But the temptation is to, to receive the gift and then start working it off. And so if you're a Christian today, just say, it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's glorious. Grace. You believe it. You believe it. There's nothing more to do. It's finished. Now our response is obedience. Our response is, I want to do the right thing. I want to follow my King. He paid it all for me. I I just want to say thank you with my life. Because there's nothing I can do make up for it. I can't pay it off. He paid it all. Do you believe it? Do you believe it this morning? And just on the screen, we have just our our last resolutions for today. I don't know if you can see that. But let's stand together. And I want us to I want us to re- be reminded of who we are and how we can now live because of this glorious grace. Here are some resolutions. I will live knowing who I am. I don't know if you want to join me. I'll just I'll be up here shouting it by myself if, if you don't want to partner with me. But if this is really true about me, because I've been saved and I've been forgiven, I've been graced. If this is true, I can't forget this. And neither can you. Let's say these together. I will live knowing who I am. I am blessed. Come on. I am chosen. I am predestined. I'm adopted. I'm accepted. I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, and I am enlightened. Let's sing, let's sing, let's worship.